Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that you'll open our hearts and minds to hear what you have to say. Speak to us afresh by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, over the next three weeks while I'm on leave, there'll be three different missionary speakers who will be preaching. Two speakers are back on furlough, and the other is preparing to go out into the mission field. So two experienced and one in preparation. Now, I haven't asked them to specifically preach on mission. I've asked them to bring a word from God, a word that God has laid on their heart. Because the three of them are passionate about mission, that theme may filter through, and that's fine. This is not a fundraising sort of program. Often when you have a focus on mission, it's to raise money, like we did last year, very successfully, for raising the roof. Though uh, when Alistair does speak, Alistair, it'd be great if you give us an update on where you are with your fundraising because that's kind of the major focus now that the shop's sold and all that. So when Alistair speaks on the last Sunday and Friday, it'd be great if you can just update us where, we, where you are with the fundraising. That'd be great. So this morning, by way of introducing the next three speakers, of setting the tone for this month of missionaries, we're going to explore the motivation and the method for overseas mission. We're going to look at five different areas. The first is why bother with overseas mission, the biblical mandate, biblical examples, we'll go through a couple of examples, and then a modern day example And then what's our take home? What's our application as we consider this mandate for overseas mission? So first of all, why bother with overseas mission? I mean, isn't it redundant? Isn't overseas mission a residue of our colonial past? And if you read the history books, they tell us we need to apologise for our colonial past. Is overseas mission something that we should be embarrassed about? Not so. Not if you believe secular journalist Colin Freeman. Colin Freeman writes for the well-regarded but not Christian magazine, The Spectator, in England. Freeman recently wrote an article titled Amazing Grace. And the byline of this article was, In the darkest corners of the world, Christian missionaries are still saving lives. Isn't that interesting? From a non-Christian. Freeman's travelled to and covered a number of stories in Africa for many years. Now, this particular article came about after an interview between two recently returned missionaries. Tragically, they had been kidnapped and held for 22 days. Unfortunately, someone else who was kidnapped with them was murdered during that time. So they were released. They were back in England, and so uh, Freeman went to interview them. Just as an aside, a very important aside, um, Christine and Pete were telling me a couple of weeks ago that the biggest security issue at Burkina Faso with missionaries is kidnapping. And and it's a real concern. So it's lovely to have you home where it's a bit safer and uh, we need to keep praying for our missionaries. So anyway, Freeman spoke with David and his wife Shirley Donovan who are now safely back in England and he was very surprised. And so he wrote this article and I quote, As the couple served me soup sitting at their kitchen table, it struck me that these were people of a sort I had never encountered in two decades of reporting on Africa. Here were white Christian missionaries talking unapologetically about God. I had assumed such a species was long extinct. I was wrong. This started Freeman on a bit of a quest to discover more. So again, quoting from the article, he wrote this. 
David suffered a previous kidnapping attempt in 2009. Shirley once caught a potentially deadly form of malaria. They were robbed of their boats twice. Humidity destroyed most of their electrical equipment and rats ate their walkie-talkies. Even the hardened Scottish oil workers down the road in Port Harcourt thought these missionaries were mad. Dangerous as it was, the work of the Donovans and their companions did in this village made a huge difference. Prior to the arrival, the village had a child mortality rate of about 45%. Isn't that amazing? Every second newborn would die, roughly. When measles and cholera cases spiked, as they did at certain times of year, the infant death toll was known locally as the harvest. However, the missionaries helped reduce mortality to around 2%. Isn't it amazing? 45% mortality to 2%. A fact not lost on the local witch doctors, who had been hostile to the clinic when it first opened, but who ended up seeking treatment. The village idol keeper, whom local militants would ask for blessings, told the Donovans, the God you serve is greater than the God I serve. And the idol keeper asked them around to teach them the Bible. Isn't that surprising to hear from a a non-Christian journalist? You normally hear non-Christian journalists, if they talk about mission, being quite critical. And he outlines a number of wonderful reasons why we should bother with overseas mission. However, our mandate is not from him. Our mandate is from the Bible. And we're going to look at two passages of Jesus where he talks about overseas mission. And the first, well known to many of us, is Matthew 28. Matthew 28, often called the Great Commission, verse verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. So there it is, the Great Commission. Now what's the context? Well, we're between the resurrection and the ascension. The 40 days or so where Jesus appeared to his disciple before returning to be with his heavenly Father. And the disciples are hanging out with Jesus. They're worshipping him. They're bewildered about everything that's happened. And really the only thing that they're certain of is that Christ has risen from the dead and he was worthy of worship. And as they were worshipping him, Jesus' final words are, go and make disciples of all nations. Of all nations. So this is our mandate. The disciples did exactly this. Think just of Thomas, the once doubter but now faithful Christ follower. Church tradition tells us that Thomas travelled all the way to the south of India, no mean feat in those days, and while there he planted a church. Imagine the surprise when 1,500 years later the first Europeans were discovering that area expecting to find pagans and they came across this Christian church. 15 centuries isolated from the rest of the known Christian world, still going strong. Well done, Thomas. Why did he do that? Because he obeyed the mandate to go to make disciples of all nations. So that's our first passage. The second passage is taken in Acts chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, mainly verse 8. 
Again, the context is between the resurrection and the ascension. And this time Jesus is with the disciples, and the disciples are asking, when will you set up a physical kingdom, Jesus? You know, a kingdom to rival Rome. And Jesus in verse 7 says, it is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. It just means, I'll set up my own physical kingdom when I'm good and ready. But then we come to verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this is the second time where Jesus proclaims our mandate to witness, to proclaim him even to the ends of the earth. So first of all, go and make disciples of all nations. Here he's saying, go to the ends of the earth. And think about it. If you're in Jerusalem and you look at a map, and you think, well, where's the furthest part of the world? Where's the end of the world when you're looking at a map with Jerusalem at the centre? Well, it's got to be us, isn't it? If not close to New Zealand. Isn't that good news? Good news for us. And now it's our turn to keep the momentum going, to keep going to the ends of the earth. Now, this verse is important, uh, not only because of the mandate, but because it spells out our strategy. How are we to take the good news to the ends of the earth? What's our strategy for overseas mission? Well, it's tucked up in this verse and it's threefold. Threefold. Three things. First of all, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Second of all, start local. Thirdly, go global. So, Jesus said, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, that's the first thing. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea. That would be the same as being witnesses in Cromwell and in Central. Same sort of thing. And then Jesus went and said, Samaria into the ends of the earth, which would be the rest of Otago, maybe Canterbury, maybe Canterbury, and to the ends of the earth. So you see what Jesus is saying there? Be spirit-filled, start local, go global. That's our strategy. That's the strategy for the church when it comes to mission. And you can't miss out any of those steps. You can't just go global. (laughs) You've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit and you've got to start local. Let's look at a biblical example of this, of these uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit, starting local, going global. Well, when it comes to being filled with the Holy Spirit, if you've got your Bibles open, you don't have to go far because not far from Acts chapter 1 verse 8, of course, we've got... Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost. So what's the background? Well, people have gathered all around the known world. Jews and God-fearers from countries all around the world, the known world, have gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. 120 of the the Jesus' followers, that includes the 12 disciples, Jesus' mother, other family members, disciples, are in the upper room when the Holy Spirit comes like a roaring wind and tongues of fire descend on the 120 and they spill out onto the street and they testify to Jesus speaking all the languages of the known world. And you see how this is an initial fulfilment of of Acts chapter 1-8. This is an initial fulfilment of the disciples witnessing to the ends of the earth. At the birth of the church, at ground zero, at day one, the ends of the earth have come to the church. 
And so when the disciples speak in those languages, they're actually proclaiming to the ends of the earth, it's just rather conveniently, the ends of the earth have come to the church. And can you see how it is in our DNA to proclaim Christ and not just proclaim it in our own language, in our own comfort zone, but at the very birth of the church, the ends of the earth had come to Jerusalem and we're hearing the good news. You cannot separate any healthy church from that proclamation of Christ to other languages. Like I said, it's in our DNA and it's in our roots. So, the first thing, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, how does that happen to us today? Well, that's worthy of, of many sermons. But at its core is that when you ask Christ to be your personal Lord and Saviour, you invite Jesus into your life, the Bible promises that no matter how, how you feel, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. And that's our core and our basis for telling anyone about Jesus, is that we have met him first. Like I said, more can be said about that. But the key thing, the first strategy, is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The next is to start local. So, Jerusalem, the church thrives and grows. Stephen is martyred. He's murdered by an angry mob and persecution breaks out amongst the Christ followers and they're scattered. And where do they go? They leave Judea, Jerusalem, and they go to Samaria. And they tell people about Jesus and people respond. And then they go further out to what is modern-day Lebanon and to the town or the city of Antioch. And there a church springs up and it thrives. And the apostles in Jerusalem hear about it and they send Barnabas Barnabas knows the work of God when he sees it and he gives it the big thumbs up. And he wants to hang around there because who else doesn't want to hang around when God's doing mighty things? And he wants to teach the church and encourage the church, but he needs help. And so we pick up the story in Acts verse 11, uh, 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And so there's this incredible local focus by Paul and Barnabas. They settle in the church of Antioch and they pray and they seek God's face and say, how can we bless these people? How can we proclaim Christ in this city? And they go local for the the whole year. And God blesses them and the church grows and it thrives. And then, how do they go from local to global? Well, Paul and Barnabas are praying with the leadership. And in Acts 13 verse verse, uh, 2, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. See what's happening there? Paul and Barnabas are recognised because of their local ministry. During a prayer meeting with the eldership, the leadership, the Holy Spirit nudges them, directs them to send these two out to go global. The next thing, Paul and Barnabas are on a boat. And the boat's heading off to Cyprus and there they minister and the church, again, churches start to spring up as they proclaim Christ. And then before long they are on another boat to modern day Turkey. And again, as they proclaim Christ, people listen and respond and we can see the gospel going to the ends of the earth. Why? 
because they were obedient to the mandate to make disciples of all nations and go to the ends of the world. How? Because they were full with the Holy Spirit, they started local and then they went global. That's how we see this gospel spreading and today it still continues. People are still being filled with the Holy Spirit. People are ministering local and being recognised and being commissioned to go global. Let me give you a modern day example. Uh, There are many and and there's all sorts of different ways that God leads people to the mission field. Uh, But I'll give you an example from my last church which brings together both the local and the global focus. So I was in the Eastern Bays, Auckland, and we were approached to see if our youth group would help serve breakfast at local low-decile school. Okay, low-decile, decile one schools are schools and communities where they don't have a lot of financial and social resources. And so Glen Innes was next to Glendowie, and it's a decile one school, a little bit of South Auckland tucked away in exclusive Eastern Bays, sort of 95% plus Pacific Island next to Glendowie, which was full of, which was decile 10, privileged sort of community. Anyway, when we, myself and the youth worker, went and and had a look one morning at their program, the principal said, we've actually got enough people to serve breakfast to our young people. It's great to see those young kids getting there, having to feed a Weetbix and toast before school. Um, He said, but why don't you run a program? Why don't you get your youth to run a program? Simple program, conversational English, simple maths, and English sort of skills. And so that's what we did. Our youth work every Wednesday morning would take two or three of our youth into a, from a decile 10 school into a decile 1 school and do some youth group games and have some fun and just get, grow the kids' confidence, do a few sort of crafty, sort of math, simple math things. It was great. So that's your local mission. Going well. Now that year I happened to be speaking at a, uh, in Fiji in Lautoka at an Easter convention. And while I was there, I met the Kiwi chap that was heading at Marine Reach, YWAM's Marine Reach. Anyway, on the flight home, I happened to think, you know, what our youth are doing in New Zealand schools, they could do in Fiji schools, couldn't they? It was a wee bit of a nudge of the Holy Spirit. And so we investigated it. And in Fiji, you can do a lot more of a Christian input into the program. So for two years our youth would be rostered on and working in Glen Innes with the young people and every second year we would take a team over over to Fiji. And so there's some of our kids working in the Decile 1 school, interacting with mainly Tongan folk in Glen Innes Primary School. And then every second year we'd take them to Fiji. There we go. And we'd do a programme at the Assembly. So we'd start off with a little bit of a secular talk about, you know, what's it like to be in New Zealand, a bit of Kiwiana a Māori song, and we'd sing a Christian song, kid's song, then, a, then we'd do a play, normally a parable of Jesus would enact, and then we'd have at least two of our children give their testimony about how they came to know Jesus. Isn't that amazing? You can do that in Fiji. I won't let you do that in New Zealand, but you can do that in Fiji. And so we would go around the schools in Lautoka, and they'd love to have us, and then our kids would be in the, in the classrooms and peers interacting, and then at interval or lunchtime, We'd be playing touch or soccer or just having fun with the primary school kids. It's great, isn't it? Local, going global. Imagine the impact on the kids. One of our young guys, he was year 12, I think, at the time. No, year 13. And he was, he was, he, he was an academic. And he was really nervous about giving his testimony. And we put no pressure. And he wanted to and he didn't want to and he didn't want to. And then we had an opportunity to go into a Fiji prison. We're talking razor wire, 
through endless locked doors, orange boiler suits, big Fijian boys, yeah, men. And he said, I want to give my testimony. So we did the program, and this young guy got in front of all those convicts and told them about how he came to know Jesus. Isn't amazing? Start local, go global. And you, you just don't know what God's going to do in your life. Look, there's all sorts of models, though, isn't there? That's just one example. It worked in our context for all sorts of reasons. I'm not sure if that particular program would work in another context because you've got to pray. pray. And what, what can we good at? What can we do here in Cromwell to get people to understand, to hear the message of Jesus, and then how can we leverage that to go global? So, application. How can we put this into action? What is some take-home from this mandate to go global. Well, first of all, be encouraged. As a minister still in my first year here, this church is amazing in its commitment to overseas mission. And once you're embedded in this, you can kind of take it for granted that all other churches are just as passionate. Well, sadly, it's not true. Be encouraged. This church has a wonderful DNA, a wonderful history of supporting missionaries. So keep it up. You know, I've already mentioned Malawi, the $20,000 raised between two churches to help roof the churches in Malawi and the team that went there and the youngs who were missionaries that had gone from here 15 years before. And I think of the Potters in Thailand, the Johnstons who are back and the Muirs, you know, the Hansons that are about to go out. Be encouraged that this church has some good DNA. Don't take it for granted. Don't become prideful. Be humble, lean into it. Second of all, be grateful. Be grateful for not all of us can go overseas. Not all of us can go global. Be on the ground making disciples of nations, of peoples with different languages. Our health, our age or circumstances mean it's not practical. But there's no need to apologise if we can't go. If we all did go, who would be witnessing to the lovely folk in Cromwell? Here's a good thing though. Every missionary we send out or support is representing us in the Great Commission. We physically can't be there. But just like Paul and Barnabas were representing the Christians in Antioch because not every Christian in Antioch could go on the mission field, so are the Johnstons and the Muirs and the Potters and the Hansons will be. They will be representing us and we're very grateful. Thank you for doing such a wonderful job of representing us and for our other missionaries. Uh, They are representing us to all nations and in the ends of the earth. Thirdly, after being encouraged and being grateful, we need to be challenged. If you are a Christian and you are still breathing, your mandate is to participate in the Great Commission. No excuses. You thought I let you off the hook just a minute ago, didn't you? When I said, you know, we can't all go and we need to be grateful, some of you are thinking, oh, that's great, Lord, I don't have to go on the mission field. Well, I am not letting you off the hook because the great mandate is for each one of us as long as we have breath. Just because of our health or circumstances or age may stop us going global, they do not stop us being filled with the Holy Spirit. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit no matter our health, no matter our age, no matter what our circumstances are. Know you are filled. 
Don't just rely on an experience three or four or five decades ago when you asked Jesus into your life or when you were baptised in the Holy Spirit. Amazing that those experiences may be. Is that a fresh, ongoing experience for you? Or have you gone stale when it comes to matters of the Holy Spirit? Do not rest. Pray that God will bless you afresh with a new measure of the Holy Spirit. I pray for that regularly from the pulpit, don't I? I often pray that God will fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit. I do that because I leak. And if I leak, I'm gathering that other people in this room leak the Holy Spirit as well. And so in my private times, quiet times, and here, I'm always praying, Lord, fill us afresh, fill us anew. Don't let us take for granted. May we not grow stale when it comes to the matters of the Holy Spirit. So that's one thing that we can do in fulfilling the Great, um, great Commission. The second thing we can do is that there are many countless and creative ways we can be involved in a local mission here in Cromwell. Okay, and, and it's that personal thing of the people that we know, our colleagues, our, the parents that um, we, we get to know as we drop our children off at school, our family members. We get to know them and pray for an opportunity to share Christ with them. That's part of the Great Commission. Or be involved with some of our programs like Rhythm and Dance, the Parenting Toolbox that's starting up, the other various courses that we offer. Be involved. And if you can't be involved physically because of your age or health or circumstances, then keep praying. Pray that the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon both local and global mission. Pray a blessing on those people in the Rhythm and Dance team at Kids Church. Pray a blessing on, on the Potters and the Johnstons, the Youngs as they, as they um, have come off the mission field and are ministering in Ashburton. Keep praying. Most of all, pray that as we lift Jesus Christ up, he will draw all people to him. Whether we're here in Cromwell or in Thailand or Africa, pray that every knee will bow with joy and worship the risen king as we lift him up and witness and testify to all that he has done for us. Let's pray.